0: Are you an educator or a therapist looking for new ways to serve families, to use your knowledge to support new parents and caregivers in your community? I would love for you to check out the Learn With Less facilitator training and certification program. When you submit your application, we'll make sure that you are a good fit. And if you are, I'll be gifting you my exclusive private training all about how to create lasting impact leading caregiver and me classes with a high quality evidence-based plug and play program that'll have families coming back again and again. All you need to do to get an invitation is to fill out the quick application form at learnwithless.com slash certification. Now I would love to know more about you. Does this work call to you? Do you already serve families in your community in a similar way? Send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm at learnwithless and I would love to hear from you. Thanks for being here. See you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies, goodbye to the toddlers, goodbye bigger kids, goodbye all the siblings, goodbye to the grown-ups, goodbye to the singers, goodbye I yell it, goodbye to Deandra, we laughed and we played, we're getting very clever, this is what counts being here together. Thank you so much, everyone. The Learn With Less podcast brings you information, tips, and resources about all things early parenthood and early childhood. If you haven't yet done so, please do leave a review of the Learn With Less podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. That helps other people find the good work we are doing. And after you've done that, go ahead and share Learn With Less with a friend or colleague. See you next time today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Deandra Morse Deandra is a licensed clinical social worker in New York State her clinical background includes experiences in school advocacy sexual abuse prevention healthy relationship building and supporting bilingual families in Spanish she is the face behind bilingual playdate which is currently a social media page dedicated to celebrate and encourage bilingualism advocate on behalf of parents for better resources explore bilingual parenting mental health health and provide intentional target language play ideas that can be easily implemented at home. Bilingual Playdate was born in May 2020 when Deandra was 22 weeks pregnant with a 15-month-old toddler at home, and playing was how she and her little ones passed their days. She was reminded quickly that play has always been at the core of her therapeutic work with young children, and the best way to engage and teach children anything. (laughs) <laughs> playing has been the venue to further develop the language goals of her bilingual home. In Deandra's bilingual home, they follow the strategy known as minority language at home or MLAH, using Spanish as the primary language in the home. Deandra describes raising bilingual children as an eye-opening experience, even though she herself grew up bilingual. So through her work creating bilingual playdates, she's found it helpful to connect with other families who are in the similar trenches and She has found it incredibly special to see her love for play, bilingual parenting, and her professional experiences in mental health combined. So Deandra, thank you so much for joining us here (laughs) on Learn With Less. That was a wonderful, you know, bio that you supplied me, but I just want to say, number one, welcome. And number two, it's nice to have that more formal bio reading, but I would love it if you could just, in your own words, tell us about your background and just really how you got into doing this work that you're doing today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. So I grew up in the Dominican Republic. I was born in New York, but my parents, after I was 27 days old, moved us to the Dominican Republic, their home country. And so both of my parents are Dominican. And I grew up for the majority of my life in the Dominican Republic. I went to school there. My school was bilingual. And so I was able to learn all day. My classes were not, it was in like half the day in Spanish, half the day in English, it was more like every other class was in Spanish or every other class was in English. Mm. And so it was a really interesting dynamic where me and my classmates were constantly switching back and forth in the languages, which was a really cool experience. And then when I was home, my parents do not speak English. And so we spoke in Spanish. And then in the community, it was whatever, you know, whatever language yeah. we want, whether Spanish or English, depending on who we were speaking to and what they were doing. But I really, I was truly raised just switching back and forth between the languages which I really appreciated. And so I was in the Dominican Republic until I was 16 years old. And then we decided to move to the States. So we moved to New York City so that me and my siblings could finish off our high school careers in the States. because We wanted to go to college here. And so I was then, I guess for the second time in my life, immersed in one language only because my high school was only in English in New York City. I did interact with a lot of other kids who, like me, were bilingual. And so that was really neat to see how even in that environment, many of us were still managing and navigating both languages. Following high school, I ended up in upstate New York, attending a college in Buffalo, New York. Hilbert College is very small, so not a lot of people know it. But I found myself loving everything related to working with people. And I ended up getting a bachelor's of science degree in human services, which then led me to going after graduate school. So I went to Fordham University and got a master's of social work degree from Fordham in social work that focused on community problem solving, which was something that I really felt passionate about. I love finding a challenge and finding a solution or, you know, kind of thinking about creatively, how can we figure a problem that someone is experiencing or a community is experiencing and what can we do about it? And so a lot of my work was around that. And so my first job after graduate school was actually working for an agency in New York City that's called Advocates for Children in New York. And there was an immigrant students rights project that I was able to be the parent advocate. So I advocated on behalf of parents who had English language learners in the school system, which was very interesting to me because I had a parent at home, both parents at home, didn't Mm -hmm. speak English. And so for me, I was my advocate I was yes. the one that was doing all the advocacy in school so it was very cool to be able to do what I wish my parents had when I was navigating high school and then college like financial mm-hmm. yes. aid like all that information that you just don't know if, if you didn't go to school here like I wasn't a thing in Dominican Republic
0: so they didn't right know. well and <laughs> and which requires a whole other set of vocabulary even yes. if you're somewhat familiar with the mm-hmm. dominant language <laughs> trying <laughs> to master a whole other set of not only navigating the language system, but all the other systems related right. to the educational system, for instance. Yeah.
1: It was very, very, very rewarding to be able to do that. I felt like I was able to give back something so special that I wish had been something that someone had given our family. But so that was a beautiful work. I love doing that. I learned so much about the school system, so much about bilingualism, how students are supported or not supported in the school system, how parents are supported or not supported in the school system, and kind of notice a lot of the gaps. So my time there was very, very, very educational. And I appreciated that that was my first experience right after graduate school as a first-time social worker. And so then I ended up moving actually to upstate New York because I met my husband in college. So he's my college sweetheart. (laughs) And we ended up moving to upstate New York to his hometown. And this is where I live now. And I ended up getting into sexual abuse trauma. And so I started working as a social worker for a non-for-profit here and during my time there that's really when i was able to really get into not only trauma work but also play work because <laughs> the population that i was now working with wasn't able to do one-on-one therapy in the way that you see in a movie where like someone comes in and they sit down and they have a conversation with you it was more three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds that i I was having to engage in conversations regarding trauma, boundaries, safety, you know, what does it mean if someone's being unsafe? How do you ask for help? Like these concepts that sure we talk about it with our kids, but are really really hard for a young child to then be able to really put into practice. Right. And so right. I was able to kind of learn how to do that, how to navigate that, and what is the vocabulary of small children because I wasn't as familiar with that. And so it was very interesting to be able to like have the advocacy lens that I had already as to like, this is the kind of stuff that a child needs to be able to have a positive productive life. And how do I then adopt that to communicate that to that child so that that child can advocate for themselves. So I did that for six years and really, really, really loved it. And I was able to even work with some Spanish speaking families that did come through our program, not many, I wish more. I wish I was able to interact with more. But it was very helpful for me because I also, when I was working with these Spanish-speaking families, was able to start learning how to then I talk about this English vocabulary to this family where their culture, this might be so taboo and we can't talk about that. And so how do we even navigate that cultural barrier so that it can be a positive experience? So I created resources while I was there that were able to help those family members navigate those conversations with their child. And so that was, very, very, very cool. Then I started thinking, well, I want to work with maybe the potential parents of children in this same line of work. Like I really enjoy talking about healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, the world needs more of that. So I ended up uh, finding myself as a violence prevention educator in a college setting. And that was also very fun being able to talk to college students about their understanding of what a healthy relationship is, how to set boundaries, what is consent, how do they ask for consent? It felt very rewarding to be able to do that kind of work because who talks about healthy relationships? when you're young. That's not a typical, I guess not normal normal to me, but not a typical mm-hmm. conversation that we're often engaged in. And so I found myself doing that in a college setting, but still kind of missing. So that was more educational. So I was missing that mental health piece where I was able to do one-on-one therapy. So I opened up my own private practice here in upstate New York. It's called Daring Hearts Counseling. So I was doing kind of both. And mm. at the same time, I was a mom. <laughs> I was a mom of a six-month-old boy. And so it was a very busy time and very, very fun to be able to do all the things that I love being a mom, educating the future generation of adults about healthy relationships, and then also being able to tap into that mental health piece that will always be a part of me. But it was starting to feel a little bit more busy than I I guess I wanted it to be when I started considering my own child and my own bilingual parenting goals goals for him mm. and so that was where i started being like wait i am at work and i'm doing work that i love yes. but my child is being cared for by family we love and caregivers we love but they're speaking to him predominantly in english mm-hmm. and if sure. i want him to have any sort of spanish fluency he mm. needs to hear spanish from somewhere yeah. but that's just how language works like right yeah, if An output, like if he doesn't listen, he's not going to speak. And I was finding that the hours of the day that I was at home were starting to feel not enough for me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of come to a decision that we can like all the things in the world, we can love doing all the things in the world, but maybe we can't do them all at the same time. And so I decided. Ah, the
0: eternal (laughs) struggle of early
1: parenthood. I know. I wish you could clone. I don't know. I wish there was a way that you could do all the things that you love and all the things that you're interested in, but there's just no way. And so I had to think about that really, really, really big part of me that really wanted to pass down all the things that make me me to my mm-hmm. child. And I took a step back from doing the violence prevention education at the mm-hmm. college setting and ended up just doing my private practice part time and being able to come home at somewhat what felt like the perfect timing because I found out I was actually pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and the the pandemic that we're all living through right now started. And so I guess it was a perfect time for me to be home. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I then found myself at home with my child who was 15 months at that time. And I was 22 weeks pregnant and I found myself just constantly playing, trying to provide him with as much Spanish vocabulary in a creative way, because yes, we can have conversations with our kids, but there's just some vocabulary that they're never going to hear unless we're playing with them or we're doing something specific because no one's talking about s- scooping and you know but right. th- there's just words that you don't use on a regular basis when you're interacting with your kids so to me play was the mm-hmm. way to maximize that Spanish input that I wanted to provide him that he wasn't getting previously yeah and so that's how bilingual play date was born I wanted to share my play ideas and I also wanted to find community because we- the world was on lockdown so the only community to be found was really online. Yep. And in our community, there aren't many Spanish speaking families. So I, it wasn't like, oh, if there wasn't a pandemic, then I would be able to have access to this community. I wouldn't mm. have. So it really was kind of like my safe space, my, our safe haven where, that we tapped into when the day started feeling like, you know, Groundhog Day, where everything's kind
0: of the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Deandra, there is so much there to talk about and there's a couple of directions that we could go in right now. But one thing I just want to emphasize is this idea that it all comes back to play, right? And not only is play the framework and the avenue that you used in your work with families and children who'd experienced trauma, for instance, and what you were talking about earlier about how working with families who hold different value systems for whom maybe certain discussion topics or ways of talking about certain, like you said, taboo Mm -hmm. subjects that play was often the way in which you were able to make your Point and communicate. And I would actually just love to hear. We didn't talk about talking about this, but I would love (laughs) to hear if you're comfortable sharing a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what that looked like and how it also just relates to the work that you do now because you are working. I mean, you affect and you reach families from all different backgrounds, of course, because we're online. Mm -hmm. And so it's wonderful to be able to create content that affects people from all over the world. But I'd love to hear a little bit bit more about that sort of awareness and cultural responsiveness Mm -hmm. that your work has made you more understanding and aware of and what role play has in that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that kind of comes to mind. So one of the things that we used to do with families is kind of explore this idea of boundaries and no matter what, I mean, I think about culture as kind of like your heritage, where you come from, what you are accustomed to. But I also think about, and people forget about this, Mm -hmm. I think about family culture because your own family has a way of doing things and they have a way of understanding things and that becomes part of who you are. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that shows up more than your actual culture, like whether you're Dominican or whether you're, you know, and so,
0: and it can all be rooted within a larger culture sometimes. Yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah, sometimes. And so one of the things that was very interesting to explore was boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so how do boundaries exist in different family systems and how do different people understand boundaries and what is comfortable for you might be uncomfortable for you, or maybe your parents. Did sit this when you were growing up but now you want to do something different with your kids and then you have to communicate that. How do you communicate that to everybody so that everybody can respect each other's boundaries? And so with young children, one of the things that we used to do is we used to think of boundaries as the size of a hula hoop. So we would do exercises where we would have hula hoops in a room and then have kids pick out the hula hoop that spoke to them, that attracted them, the color that they liked. So they would go and sit inside the hula hoop that they liked. And then we would relate that to comfort. Like, how do you feel in there? Do you feel safe? Do you feel unsafe? How do you know? What if? And then we would do a lot of, what if this person's hula hoop was right next to you? Would that be something that makes you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? And we did a lot of question and role-playing like that. And then we're like, what if this hula hoop was on top of yours? And we would do this even with families. Like, what if this one was on top of yours? How would that feel? And then we would do a whole activity and a debrief where we would process, like, for for some people, that would just be too much, too much closeness. And what does that then look like when we're talking about physical space, when we're talking about emotional closeness, like, would it feel different if it's like, we're just very close, and we talk about all these things versus you're like, in my face, so close to me. And we did a lot of analogies and a lot of observation. And, and it was playful. You know, it was funny, like, Oh, my God, what do you what do you mean that that, you know, hula hoop is gonna be on top of me? How silly is that? But then we then took that we had a visual that we could go off of and then talk about this concept in a more meaningful way for kids you know it was funny and it was active and it made sense to them so then they could use words like you're too close to my space or you're too close you're in my hula hoop that's one of the things that they could say which is so cute for kids to say and then when someone said what do you mean you're too close to me and then being able to give them language that they could use practically or like let me show you if I put a hula hoop over over myself. You're in here and I don't want you to be in here. We did that also with bubbles. We would blow bubbles in a room and then we would say, what would happen if you touch it? And then the bubble will pop. And Mm -hmm. so let's pretend that we have a bubble and we're inside the bubble. What would happen if someone touched it? They were so close that they could touch it. And then they would talk about that experience. And then it allow for them later to be able to then communicate that. When you're so close to me, it feels like you're invading my personal space. So that was some of the things that I think everyone could understand and relate to that physical boundary. And then we could talk more about other kinds of boundaries, like Mm -hmm. emotional boundaries and how to set them. But it was a way, for families and parents, it was like a common language for all when we were all playing and something that they could replicate at home um, in a very inexpensive way because, you know, we could give them bubbles, but they could also get bubbles even at the dollar store. Right, And And you can
0: replace a hula hoop with like standing inside of a a laundry basket or whatever it is. Or inside a box or, you know, it would be very simple things
1: that they could do at home that would still communicate personal space, safety, security, Mm -hmm. and talk about how do we feel when we're in this box we're protected mm-hmm. and that's what we want in our family and so that's kind of the two examples that kind of pop in my mind that are very easy for families to do at home but also were very meaningful for kids when we were thinking about how do we give them language they need language to be able to convey how they feel and maybe the like different people have different size hula hoops some people the older they get their hula hoop gets bigger and they're able to tolerate more people in close proximity like when they go to a concert when they are at the movie theaters there are different events where it, you are required to have more people around you but there are times that we don't need people that are around us like when we go to the bathroom and so we were able to kind of then give context using these very practical exercises that we were doing in the office
0: i love it because again just to drive this home to everyone who's listening <laughs> play is the way right like play mm-hmm. is the way that you frame it because mm-hmm. that is the common language i love how you said that So, all right, veering back into the world of bilingualism, which is really primarily the topic that we wanted to chat about and how it relates to play. I wanted to ask you too, like from your own personal perspective, what are some of the values that you're instilling when you think about why you're raising your children to be bilingual? Because we talked a little bit about this as far as like your identity and why that was so important to you when you were like, I need this. I need my children to also be bilingual. I want that for them. Like what parts of your own identity are important to share with them through language?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is my parents do not speak English. And so I am very close to my family. I'm very close to my parents, very close to my siblings. I love that my kids get to see that members of our family speak only one language and some members of our family speak both languages. And that in order to communicate with the members of the family that don't speak both languages, we need to use different languages. And so I wanted them to understand that relationship and that it's not just us. Lots of people in the world that speak other languages. And I always say that that if we were watching TV and then something will pop up in a different language and I'll be like oh that is a different language you know like spanish english is a language and then italian's another language and then I tell them you know in another in another country there's a little kid that speaks maybe italian english and spanish and so it's very important to me for them to understand that there are other people in the world that speak other languages and that not only spanish and english exist even though those are the two that we prioritize so that that's one of the things that I guess for me, I always was aware of this because in the Dominican Republic, we share our country with many people from different nationalities. But also right next door, our neighbors are Haiti. And mm-hmm. so they speak French Creole. And so we were always exposed to French Creole. And we I was always aware that there were not only Spanish, but English, but French Creole. And then whoever I interacted with or saw, I knew that they were speaking a different language that wasn't any of these that I saw on a regular basis. And so I was always aware of that. And I really, really want my kids to have that awareness. Because in our community right now, they're not going to be exposed to that very much unless we go out of our ways to show them that. So I guess exposure is one of the things that is very important to me, whether that's through books, movies, whether that is us going out of our ways and seeking all opportunities that they can hear other languages. So I would say that. So it's not just like, I want them to dominate. And be able to be fluent in both of the languages, but I want them to also be aware and be sensitive to other people speaking other languages, because that's the world we live in. And it it, it wouldn't be fair for them to only think like, oh, that person should speak the languages that I speak. I don't want that mentality for them, I think is very important to want acceptance and then give acceptance, I guess. Yeah.
0: I want to just pick out another thing that you said within there, because you said exposure is the, is that key, but also in, in what you said is connection, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just connection to the two languages. It's connection to the people who speak both of those languages and to the understanding again, that not everybody speaks those two languages and that there are so many languages mm-hmm. in the world and that those are all representative of different people and different mm-hmm. connections and yes that's yes. awesome
1: and so I think that and then this one I, I think about language and I, I think of what do I want to give them I want to give them language food and traditions and so yeah, I, yeah. so I think language, about
0: food and traditions beautiful yes okay
1: so for food I think about like you know my husband and I go out of our ways to prepare Dominican dishes my husband has learned how to prepare prepare many Dominican dishes and sometimes I think I'm like oh my god you cook better than I do how is this possible I'm like is my mom teaching him secretly how to prepare this because how can he do this better than I so we go out of our ways to incorporate that food piece because I think the food provides its own specific language yes. that, that you can really tap into and inviting our kids into cooking with us and being aware with what goes into what dish I think is just a very special way to to let your culture really show up and really give that back. And it's something that also goes into tradition. There are certain things that you think about when you think about Thanksgiving, you think about a certain set of food that you are going to have at Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, at Christmas. And we've done a really good job in blending both of our cultures and mm-hmm. being able to incorporate a little bit of both into even what traditional holidays, because my kids are, they're bicultural, you know, yes. they're Dominican and they're American. And so, yeah. and I want both of those cultures to always exist and always dance with each other and never compete. Yeah. Um, that's what if I, I can give my kids anything, it's like to embrace both of their cultures and to let them be together. You know, I, I had said something to someone before that... Sometimes I get a sense of Spanish and English being in competition. Like that is sometimes what it can feel like when you're raising a bilingual child in a majority language community, it can yes, feel yes. like the languages are at odds. But when I think about my own bilingualism, I see them as yin and yang. They're best friends. They're constantly interacting with each other. And that's what I want for my kids when it comes to the languages and the culture.
0: I love that. <laughs> Sandra, I just love how you said that. It's a dance. It's- They are constantly dancing with each other. Love it. It's great.
1: So that's kind of when I think about what's most important. I want them to be aware and connected to themselves in the larger world, Mm -hmm. that there are other people in the world that speak other languages, different than them or similar to them. And neither is better. You know, neither. It's not better to be monolingual or bilingual or trilingual. All of it has its positive things. and, And we have to embrace that. And we have to be respectful and sensitive towards people. It is a privilege to be able to pass down or to give your child a language that Mm -hmm. they don't actually need to survive. And so I want to always remain sensitive and not feel like everyone should be raising bilingual kids. I think we should be all raising conscious kids, kids that are are aware that there are other options and other things in the world and other people and that we can celebrate it all.
0: Oh man, that's it. Exactly. There's there's nothing else. Okay. So, so on that note, let's hear just a few of the things that are working well for you. These things that you've identified as far as the playfulness, the musicality and creating community and things like that and your family. And then some of the things that are like presenting themselves as more difficult because you mentioned like it is, yes, it is a privilege to raise our children, bilingual, multilingual, multicultural as well. So what are the things that are going well and easy or easy for you? What's (laughs) Working, And then what are some of the things that are showing themselves to be a little harder? Mm
1: -hmm. So start with the positive. (laughs) So start with what's going really well. So what's going really well is that we're still playing. We, I think my kids have a pretty good association with Spanish is fun and we love Spanish. And both of my kids are Spanish dominant. So that means that they both... Speak predominantly Spanish. My oldest, he'll be three in February, is very aware that there are multiple languages. He's very aware that there's English and Spanish. And he'll say, How do you say this in English? Or if someone tells him something in English, he'll be like, How do you say that in Spanish? And he's very curious. And I love that. So I think like we planted the seeds of curiosity about language, or even like when someone is speaking not Spanish, not English, he'll ask, What are they saying? Like, what are they? speaking, which is what I wanted. So he knows that there are other things exist. So that is going really well. They're very engaged in language learning. They love learning. They love playing. My husband's Spanish fluency has skyrocketed because he is immersed in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> All day, every day. Um, and and let's, so- let's
0: just call attention to that. Like, he's not a native Spanish speaker. He's learned Spanish.
1: Yes, he's not a native Spanish speaker. He, when I met him in college, he had taken Spanish in high school, like mm-hmm. most people in the States. And so he was aware, he knew that I was speaking Spanish and he was aware. And He had worked for a while at Disney. So his ear was very open to language from that experience. Yeah. But our relationship was mostly in English, except for when he interacted with my family. So he'll say, he'll, he would say little things here and there. But since having children, his Spanish, like, I mean, he says like Spanish is my love language with my children. Like that's all he's ever spoken to them. And so he really, really connects on that level. Like Spanish, to him means the relationship he has with his kids wow and so he will and he says like i'll continue to work on it because i want to preserve that like that's how i feel connected to them so even like sometimes i'll be like oh well you know when we're around family we've we've explored the idea of like switching to english while we're with family and he's just like it just feels so unnatural i'm like i know because we're so used to it but we're, we're figuring out what we're gonna do with that very that's interesting fascinating yeah Fascinated by that. I'm like, it, because I'm so used to switching back from my whole life yeah. that it's easy for me to like. It feels unnatural, like awkward, I guess, a little bit weird, like speaking in English to my kids because they're looking at me like, what are you doing? But I can do it. I don't think twice about it, but he gets more like hung up, like, wait, that's not what we do. Like, that's not my relationship with them. I don't really want to do that. And so it's so interesting to hear that from a non-native speaker that they feel so deeply connected to a language that it means the relationship they have with their child. That's Um,
0: incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's going really well. I love seeing that relationship just lost some in another language so I always say it's so interesting to see you parent in your second language and so he's, I mean he's pretty fluent yeah I always I'm just He like, must I'm be like,
0: yeah yeah
1: I'm like I, I'm so, so shocked that like I, did, I guess we never you never know what to expect you know yes. sometimes for many for many families it can feel overwhelming for the parent that isn't a native speaker to now have to do this you know in the language that they don't feel most comfortable in but we have seen it that it can work, but it is, it is a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And so I guess that's kind of where, if I think about the difficulty, it's like, it's a lot of work to stay (laughs) present and to mm-hmm. stay mm-hmm. on it because at the end of the day we all have so much English practice and yes. input. like even for myself after I moved from the Dominican Republic my professional interactions mm-hmm. my professional education my trainings have all been in English and my point person will always continue to be my parents and my mm-hmm. grandma that's who I speak Spanish too yes. and so prior to having kids they were my only them and then and whenever I got a family here and there that I spoke to in Spanish that's my whole Spanish you know since moving yeah and I did, and now I'm back to full-time yeah. Spanish and sometimes English so right it's very interesting how fluid that goes but it is difficult it is a lot of work a lot of times it falls all on us because we're the only input that they have especially in a pandemic where you don't have the ability to interact with other people or travel so it's been that's like the difficult part, like navigating that whole process that it's all on us and we're the only like input, finding a large community of other parents who are either Spanish speaking or even non-native, but raising their kids bilingually. That's been tricky. We don't have a lot of that. We've been lucky to find three other families in our area that we've connected with. But even that, even though we love the connection and everything like that, it's hard because everybody has different bilingual goals for their kids that's and right. everybody... I, okay does bilingualism in the way that fits their own family. Sometimes it's not the same as yours. And sometimes like even though my family language plan might be minority language at home, someone else's might be one parent, one language, or it might be mixed. But at the end of the day, no matter what anyone's family language plan, what I love is that my kid gets to see my kids, both of them get to see that other people are also speaking other languages in their home, and that they're able to be they can connect on that level of like, we do things different than maybe someone else. And that's, right. and that's I think, a spe- that's a special thing. I yeah. that to my, When we find someone who's going through the same things as us, we feel seen and we feel like we're not the only ones. And that is so powerful for people to stay connected and rooted in what's important to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's so just also say like, again, just to emphasize, like none of those ways of doing it, like as in both parents speaking the minority language. <laughs> language at home or or as we might call it L one language one versus yeah. language two, right? And one parent, one language, for instance, which just just to call out to people who are maybe not as familiar with these yep. terms, one parent one language is just as it sounds as in one like DeAndra would be speaking Spanish. And for instance, maybe her partner would be speaking English if that was the way they were doing it, for mm-hmm. instance. And that there is no right or wrong way. Yeah, it is right. the right way for your family. Yeah. For
1: sure. It's the right way for your family and each way has different results but again it Mm -hmm. all goes back to your own goals your like what you want to get out of it and so people have to do what works for them and in different seasons people change their plans and that's why it's so fun that it's just a plan it's a plan for right now but it could be we might have a different plan once they start school or life changes and so you never know that's kind of like the fun part I, I enjoy that we're so committed to our plan but it is difficult for other people to understand and support Mm -hmm. your language plan sometimes like what your family wants to do because you know there is always concern there's sometimes I guess concern around the English because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day most kids in the United States go to school in English and so we've experienced a lot of commentary around well what about English or are you not nervous about English is he going to be delayed are they going to be like a lot of there's just a lot of Mm -hmm. misinformation out there when it comes to bilingualism because it's not really the norm in the united states and so we've had to spend time educating ourselves so that we can advocate we have our children but also educating other people and that can feel exhausting sometimes to be honest it can feel really exhausting having to defend like a something that you know is important to you and that also it's going to be okay so yes i think that that has been difficult for me and my husband
0: to that is hard that is hard and i want to just say also like to point out something that you said, Deandra, which is that is not the norm in the United States. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There Mm -hmm. are many places, your own upbringing included, where Mm -hmm. bilingualism, multilingualism is the norm. Mm -hmm. And just to also clarify that delay and disorder, like unless there is any kind of delay or disorder, for instance, presenting itself in that first language, there's not going to be in the second language. Correct. So that in and of itself itself, just to clarify, is a misnomer. Yes,
1: bilingualism does not
0: cause delays. It does not cause
1: speech delays. It does not cause any kind of delay. Whatever you can master in one language, it translates to the next language if you were taught that. But kids can produce things that they're not taught. So you can not expect a Spanish-speaking child to know how to say a word in English if they're not taught that word. Yeah this that that can happen babies can't produce language unless they're taught language and so it's the same thing with your whatever speaking toddler you know yeah
0: Right, right. And like all of the things that we've been discussing this entire process, your toddler, for instance, is very much aware of different Mm -hmm. languages. That Mm -hmm. is a wonderful, that's exactly where he should be, right? Like, that's amazing. Anyway, I just wanted to clarify all of that. And that that is, like you said, that is not the norm in the United States, but that does Mm -hmm. not mean that again, back to the (laughs) awareness of different cultures, and different experiences and different language models, just because one place does it one way. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it's the only way to do it.
1: Yeah. So I guess that that has been just something that for me, who was raised bilingual and who was raised where like both of my languages were celebrated always. Um, Mm. My parents even tried for us to learn French, you know. We started learning it in ninth grade in Mm -hmm. the Dominican Republic, just like kids started learning Spanish, but I already had two languages when I was starting to learn a third language. And so, if it was up to my parents, I would have continued on with that, but I was good with my Spanish and English. But I think that I was raised that you celebrate any language, extra language ability or acquisition that your child has. Mm -hmm. And so to then trying to raise a bilingual children in the United States and then being interfaced with but it feels like a little bit of pushback like Mm. for why doesn't he speak English first it's not that it's not the problem isn't to Mm. speak to speak more than one language the problem that I keep feeling is actually the root of the problem if I put my therapist thinking cap on I would see like it seems like the problem is that they're not speaking English first if they were speaking English first and then Spanish was the language Mm. that we then were introducing later it will look different but because Spanish is the language first and English is gonna come second there's this uncomfortable feeling around it which I don't know I don't I try not to think too much about it <laughs> but you feel it you feel it yes. when you know you're at the grocery store and you're speaking Spanish mm-hmm. and someone's looking at you like weird or mm-hmm. you know in a, in a different way or when you're in a English mostly monolingual setting and it's English and it's a group setting and you like turn and you're talking to your child in the language that you both communicate in and everyone is kind of wondering why are you not also speaking to them English Mm -hmm. even though you know you have your own family plan and stuff so that is that's been the interesting kind of thing for me it's an it's been an eye-opening experience and that's why kind of I called it that because my parents when I talk to them about this they're like what like they don't even can't even relate they're like we never worried about Spanish or English or one taking over or one causing a problem like we just wanted you to have more than one and so it's So interesting what their bilingual parenting experience was, and then what my bilingual parenting experience is raising bilingual children. Yeah, Yeah. and so it just it's interesting to have that perspective, and that's kind of what's led me to do more of the supportive mental health content on Bilingual Playdate for parents. That's really resonating with a lot of people because it's very hard to go against the grain and to stay rooted in that. This is going to be worth it. This is going to you know yield the resource that I want. And I, and from my research and educating myself on what that process is like for people here, because I didn't grow up in the United States, so I don't know what that must have been like for a lot of people. But what I've started to really understand is that a lot of immigrant parents are pushed to not pursue the home language with their children because of this fear that they won't learn English, they'll have an accent, they won't be able to be understood, and a lot of language law has happened as a result of that and it breaks my heart and so if I can do anything to support other families like mine who are in in the trenches right now trying to figure out what the best way is to support their child and to keep their home language alive that's what I want to do whether that's through play whether that is through I see you, I hear you, I'm here with you whether that is through send me a message let's connect let's think about outside the box let me connect it to other people that are professionals and know the information about this i'll do whatever i want to protect i it breaks my heart to think that there are generations of Families that can't communicate with each other because someone felt that incorporating another language would be a threat to English or to whatever the majority language was at that place. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, let's hear. We'd love for you to share a few of your favorite resources, including bilingual playdate, for instance, mm-hmm. for families hoping to share bilingualism, multilingualism with their families.
1: Yeah. So I'll go through the points that I talked about yeah. and then who I would go to. So on Instagram there is an account by Rebecca Inberg. She actually lives in Germany and she oh. is a trilingual mom. She speaks Spanish, first language, German, and English. And her account is at Billy Kids B-I-L-I-K-I-D-S underscore D-E. And I'll send you that information too. Yeah. So that we'll put go. it in
0: the show notes for, for yeah. sure.
1: Okay, perfect. So she is the linguist. She is who I would 1000% send anyone to who is thinking about by, And wants to create a family language plan. Mm. That is who I learned family language plan from. That's who I go to if I have questions about what we're doing, if if this is a strategy we need to do, or if I should be nervous and what to do with when it comes to the time for school. So that's who I would go. Rebecca is a wealth of information. Also go to Kayla Diaz from Bilinguitos. So that's B-I-L-I-N-G-U-I-T-O-S. And she is also a linguist. She also talks about family language planning, but she also offers Spanish immersion school online. And so mm. there's a lot of Spanish play so right up our alley when it comes to Spanish intentional play and then also having a community because you you can have your child so my my oldest has done some of her classes and he can see other kids speak Spanish yeah. and Hey! Oh my God, Mom! There's another kid that speaks Spanish, and I'm like, I know there are many kids that speak Spanish. I promise you, it is not just you or like your. (laughs) two other friends that live here. There's so many, I promise. And so it's so helpful. She has parent and me, like baby classes that families can join as well. So awesome. I really, I really like Rebecca, Kayla to connect. I love Claudia Johnson from la mm-hmm. And she is also another yes. speech language therapist like you. She's um, great. But she focuses on bilingual language development yes. and she will scream at the top of the mountains. That bilingualism does not cost any language delays. Yes. And so if anyone is curious or has any concern regarding their child's bilingualism and their language development, mm-hmm. that's who I would refer to or go to. And then obviously bilingual playdate. but I also create bilingual resources, Spanish and English. I help create or, and translate, I guess, more like translating. So Micaela Martinez from Racing Little Goose, she oh. is a project-based... Teacher and she creates educational resources for parents and I guess teachers could use also in their classrooms. And so me and her connected, and I'm working on translating many of her resources so that Spanish speaking families can have access to it because not many of us will be able to send our kids to school in Spanish, but we can do these things at home and we can continue to incorporate play at home and keep our language
0: alive. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for people to check out all of these amazing resources. So happy to see! I'm already following most of those people on on Instagram as well. So go check out all of those amazing accounts and resources. There's so much for all of you. Deandra, is there anything else that you would like to share? I'm so pleased that we've had this opportunity to chat. Oh my God, me
1: too! I'm so excited that we were able to do this and that we're raising awareness and talking more about this because it's so important for this message to get out there. The only thing I can think about is, you know. I just want to send whoever's listening, whether you are a bilingual family yourself or raising bilingual children, or you know a bilingual person, just to take the time to give yourself a pat on the back and say, you're doing the best job with your child and their bilingualism. And, you know, it is hard work and it's going to take a lot of your time and perseverance to keep doing it, but it's going to be worth it. I have never felt regret from speaking to language and being able to help multiple people. Like I've never, you know, there's not going to be a sense of regret. And so I just want to continue to encourage people to do that, to give that gift and and to celebrate you because it is so much falls on the parents, so much falls on the family. And I want it to be known that the parents are at the
0: core of whether a language can be passed down or not. Yeah, Yeah. thank you for that. All right, well, everyone, please go and join Deandra over at bilingual. Play date on Instagram and see all of the amazing things that she puts into the world. We're so excited to see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Are you an educator or therapist looking for new ways to serve families, to use your knowledge to support new parents and caregivers in your community? I would love for you to check out the Learn With Less facilitator training and certification program. When you submit your application, we'll make sure that you are a good fit. And if you are, I'll be gifting you my exclusive private training all about how to create lasting, impact-leading caregiver and me classes with a high-quality, evidence-based plug-and-play program that'll have families coming back again and again. All you need to do to get an invitation is to fill out the quick application form at learnwithless.com certification. Now I would love to know more about you. Does this work call to you? Do you already serve families in your community in a similar way? Send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm at learnwithless and I would love to hear from you thanks for being here see you later what will you do the rest of your day goodbye to the babies goodbye to the toddlers goodbye bigger kids goodbye all the siblings goodbye to the grown-ups goodbye to the singers goodbye i goodbye to the we laughed and we played we're getting very clever this is what counts being here together thank you so much everyone the learn with less podcast brings you information tips and resources about all things early parenthood and early childhood if you haven't yet done so please do leave a review of the learn with less podcast on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast player that helps other people find the good work we are doing and after you've done that go ahead and share learn with less with a friend or colleague see you next time